How's it going? Welcome into Talking Catholic with David L. Gray. Hey, I'm excited to have this live feed for you guys tonight. Um, I have Timothy Gordon here and Bobby Hesley. And we're going to be talking about whether black Americans are now in a psychological and economic slavery to the same party that they were once in uh, physical slavery with. So come on in. Relax. Um, if you have any questions for my guests, um, Timothy Gordon and Bobby Hesley, please post them in the comment box below and I'll get to them. And um, I'll be right back after this eight second introduction to Talking Catholic. Hey, welcome all, guys. How's everybody doing? Doing great, brother. Yeah. Hey, Timmy, I know you came I'm in excellent. a little bit late. Can you hear us and see us okay? Yeah, I got you guys great. Are you? Do you have me? Can you copy? Loud and clear. Yeah, Perfect. sweet. Let me, um, let me fix my volume here. <clears throat> All right, cool. All right, man. So good to have everybody here, man. Hey, so um, let me go ahead and intro deuce everybody i know a lot of my guests uh people who watch them the david o my youtube my facebook are already familiar with you guys gotta share a lot of your content um and everybody knows the co-author of rules to retrogrades but i'll go ahead and introduce you guys anyway so we got timothy gordon here he's at the bottom of the screen he studied philosophy at the pontifical um graduate universities in europe he taught it at southern california community college as well and then he went on to um, law school. He holds degrees in literature, history, philosophy, and law. He's married with five children, right? And writes and teaches philosophy and theology. He is the author of Catholic Republic, Why America Will Perish Without Rome, and the co-author of Rules for Retrogrades, The 40 Tactics to Defeat the Radical Left. Is that about it? Yeah, that's it. I got I got a new little human, so we're at six now. It's somewhere, somewhere along the way, I needed to update, but yeah, with, uh, that's that's all correct, David. Thank you. Wow, you guys are up to six now. Now you're in um, and you were in in California, but now you're in Ala you're in Alabama now, right? Uh, Mississippi, Mississippi, Mississippi. Yeah. Man, so how's that? How's that going down there? It's excellent, man. Every there's just forest all around. We feel like we live in the Shire. We love it so yeah. so much. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of a lot of our guests know that you you were fired for um, calling Black Lives Matter what a terrorist organization, right? Yes, sir. That 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 precise proposition, as simple as it may be, as historically precedented as it may be, as inarguable as it may be, in 2017, the FBI designated BLM a BIE a Black Identity Extremist Group. Now we know that the Three founders are engaged in witchcraft, and we know that they spent a summer riling up these these kill and arson mobs. And I didn't know that back in early June, before I was fired on June the third. But I did know that they were a terror organization. I did know they had ties to Belinsky Marxism, and so now everyone knows a lot more, which is why their popularity is falling with the American people. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna get into um, some of that um, 
coming up here. So that's um, I mean that that plays a big part in what's going on. We've been seeing in, in the black community, and we also have Bobby Hesley here. Welcome in, Bobby. Hey, let me give you guys um the Bobby Hesley. Bob, he was he's born and raised in a Catholic faith. He's a business owner out of Michigan. Um, his YouTube channel has been blowing up. Um, uh, the Bobby Hesley Show, the Walks and Talks with Bobby. He is a dynamic speaker, writer, Catholic evangelist. Um, you you've seen him on a number of shows or heard him on Teresa Tamio's show on EWTBN, um, Catholic and Culture with um Dennis O'Donovan, Apostle um. Armies of the Apostles, and as well as a 12-part weekly um, episode television series with Shalom World TV. Um, I like them. Um, and that's, um, she did a show there called How to Love Jesus. So, yeah, welcome in, Bobby. Thanks for having me, Dave. Been a long time coming, brother. It's about time we collab. Yeah, no, I've been meaning, I've been meaning to work with both of you guys, especially you, Bobby, like <clears throat> for a number of years. And I know, Tim, we, were, we tried to hook up when our whole thing with Black Lives Matter went down and so we couldn't connect back then so yeah, yeah sorry about that we just had a busy summer picking up stakes and, and and getting the hell out of california which took i mean as you guys know everyone's moved it's it's a tremendous undertaking we're now here ready to go set the new enterprise has extra focus and all that we're extra sharp but it took you know june july and most of august to get here and get set i'm happy to be on though with you yeah, definitely. And again, you guys watching the show, we got a lot of people tuning in on um, the YouTube and the Facebook. So if you guys have any questions as we go along, please just post them in the comments below. And I'll just post them on the screen here like this one. We'll see your question or comment and we'll respond to it as we go along. But I want to roll right in here to Timothy. You had posted a, a video, uh, uploaded a video some weeks ago. And it was called Dear black people and so i watched that i was um i don't know what i was doing on your channel i haven't seen you sometimes i don't get you i don't think i have the bell the bell notification for your channel at that time so i went to your channel say hey what's he what's he done lately and so i saw that and i watched that and so um so we're gonna we're gonna just jump into this thing just jump into it and watch that be watch the clip of that video and then we're just gonna just jump off from there all right Cool. What's up, Parish Orphans, Retrogrades, and Black people in America, Black people around the world. Greetings to you. I bring to you today another solo rules for retrogrades, and it's high time that from me, a white person, I address in the fashion of Netflix, a monolithic fashion from one race to another, the, the black people. And I'm a, a Catholic white boy. I want to just show you some statistics which don't lie. You're not getting them from the mainstream media and, and see what you think because they're unanswerable under the narrative that the mainstream media is giving you. Black people in America say that they wake up, I'm talking about people like LeBron James, they wake up afraid of the police every day. This is outrageous. Black people don't have a monopoly on being afraid of police. They're agents of the state and as libertarians say, the state and the police actors on behalf of the state have a monopoly on violence, so you have to comply with them readily. Or, or you know, a lot of times the sometimes sub-average IQ police officer will mess with you. What you don't hear is that 
from 1976 to 2005, 94% of black victims of homicide were killed by who? 94, that's 19 out of 20 black victims. Who? Crickets? Black people. Black people. Black people, you're killing each other. 19 out of 20 times. That's not acceptable. So from my, I guess you would call it, because you are into the identity politics, for me, I, I don't really care about race or color, but, but, but the people out there that are watching this getting offended, you do. There's far more unjustified cop killings of unarmed white people than black people. Think about this. In 2013, and this is very uh, standard by today's statistics, in 2013, over 72% of blacks in America were born out of wedlock, outside. This makes them the numbers spike for crime rate, for poverty rate, you're eight times more likely to be po impoverished if you can't keep it in your pants and wait to have sex or to have a baby until you get married. Eight times more likely to be impoverished. Don't blame that on me. Blame that on yourself. So black people, you need to hear this. Maybe you're in the 25% that, that doesn't, but three out of four, you need to hear this. Is there an NBA jersey for this statistic? Can there be? Blacks commit violent crimes at 7 to 10, depending on the year, 7 to 10 times the rate that whites do. No one's telling you that. And I know the, the black people listening to this are not like out there doing the crimes themselves, but you have to talk about it. And I won't say something gay like in your community, because you're in my community. We're in the same community, man, in America. America's cities and suburbs. That's, that's your community. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so strong stuff there. Now, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I want to like jump off this talk over the next uh, fifty minutes here. Um, and so there was a lot there we could just we could just dig into. But I know Bobby, you you also put a video. I didn't have I didn't have time to upload the clip, but you also did a video on YouTube talking about a message to the black man, like. In that in that video, what was you you responded to some of these same some of these hard facts statistics um, that 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 um, Timothy Gordon said? Yeah. Now, were you talking to the one uh, my message to young black men? Was that the one you're yeah. talking about? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I was in Thailand at the time, and honestly, I made that video on the two week anniversary of the death of George Floyd, and. I feel like God put it on my heart to make that video because at the time, and I will say at the time, even now, I still believe that there is an exaggerated narrative. And I'm saying exaggerated because exaggeration presupposes some kernel of truth, right? That there's some semblance of a, of a baseline that's there, but sometimes baselines can be exaggerated, especially when it comes to race issues. And I do believe that there is an exaggerated, not non-existent, but an exaggerated victim narrative regarding blacks and police brutality. Because at the time when George Floyd was killed, <clears throat> the narrative was going around that if you're a young black man, that you're going to be hunted down. Don't leave your house. It's not safe out there. You're going to get, you know, uh, killed for being black. And I will say that, you know, we do have a history of that in our nation, but the United States of 2020 is very different from the United States of 1920. We have made a lot of progress. Um, progress presupposes that we still have work to do, but the message that I wanted to give young black men is that you cannot define yourself by what I call sub-identities, secondary identities. So before I'm black, before my race, before I'm a man, before my gender, before I'm an entrepreneur, 
before I'm a conservative, before I'm an American, I am Catholic. Okay? I am. So if you're going to put a label on me, please label me Catholic. All those other things are clothes that I wear. The, my, my soul is my Catholicism. My soul is my identity in Jesus Christ. All those other things come afterwards. And one of the flaws that I see in the black community, and this is something that as a, a black Catholic, you know, apologist evangelist that I want to try to work to change is that I feel like in the black Catholic community, we allow our blackness to define our Catholicism instead of allowing our Catholicism to define our blackness. Mm -hmm. And when you allow your blackness to define your Catholicism, it's not going to be, in my opinion, a genuine Catholicism because you're going to subjugate eternal truth to temporal realities instead of subjugating the temporal to the eternal. So if we could just reverse that order, I feel like there would be a lot more. Uh, the beneficiaries of that would be black people because we will be better catechized. We will get full, pure, unadulterated Catholicism. Not what I feel is the social justice, unattainable civil rights utopia Catholicism that I feel is holding black Catholics back because all it does is it spouts secular talking points, which I believe are of the left that have a Marxist nature to them. Um, and they're not Catholic. They're, they're not in sync with lots of papal encyclicals, for example, that straight up define things that we as Catholics have to believe and forbid certain ways of thinking that I see championed by lots of people in the black Catholic community. Um, and I'm sure we'll have a lot of time to get into that. But the point of that video was to say, that your faith in Jesus is supposed to define you. Your Catholicism defines you. And unless your Catholicism defines you, the default lens through which you view the world is going to be a victim lens. And I'm not just picking on black people. You could say the same thing for women. When, when you let your gender define you, you're going to walk around feeling like you're this put upon woman that's a victim of the evil patriarchy. You're always going to have an enemy if you let your sub-identities define you. Right. So we have to let our cores define us. That's my, that was yeah. my take in that video. Yeah, that, that victim narrative and you know the so-called black community is um is so is so is so strong and, and pervasive um you know when i was you know i tell stories sometimes that you know it was so strong for me you know i went to a historically black university and by the time i graduated from university one of my first job job interviews was with sharon williams and um to be a manager in their paint store and I remember I'm in an interview with the vice president and I tell him, you know, he says, do you have any fears or do you have any worries about taking this position to be a store manager? And I was so victimized. I was so oriented to um, think that, you know, that the, the boogeyman white man was all the way against me, that the white man was the reason why everything bad would happen to me, that that I had to I had to uh, I was like the corporate black man, meaning that the way I felt I had to every bad thing that happened to black people in this country over the 500 years that I was somehow part of that, that I didn't have my own identity. My identity was, you know, being the corporate or community. Uh, my identity was tied to everything that bad, <coughs> everything that good that happened to black people, every, every, every great thing, but everything bad that happened to black people, that was my identity. So yeah, I'll tell the VP that, yeah, man, my worst fear is that, uh, yeah, white people won't buy paint for me because I'm black. Like I wasn't worried about the color of the paint. I was worried about you know the color of my skin, which is crazy. And Tim, Tim, you um, and I want to I want to come back to you real quick, and I'll let you guys you know have an open floor. But I want to get this in real quick. Is that you know in response to your video, some of what Bobby said. You know he's talking about a black Catholic community, and all those you know your statistics. Now, who can argue with statistics? The only push the back I would have with statistics 
you know, it's just, you know, saying that, you know, white people, by the numbers, they lead in all those categories. But black people, we lead by per capita in all those categories. We're disproportionately leading in all those categories. And so somebody had emailed me and they said, hey, you know, this is after I watched the video. They say, hey, you know, what is Timothy talking about here? You know, white people are the ones that are, most of them are in prison. But you're talking about disproportionately and per capita. But Bobby, but Bobby was talking about a black Catholic community, but all those, all those statistics you said that you listed as far as fatherless homes, um, crime, when you look at places like Baltimore, Chicago, St. Louis, some of the major cities, these are also some of the major cities where you find most of the black Catholic churches. So the Catholic churches are right there where all that stuff is happening. The high literacy rates, um, the poverty, the fatherless homes, the high incarceration, why isn't Catholicism, why isn't the Black Catholic Church and Catholicism having an impact in the communities where they're at? What do you think? Why do you think that is, Tim? The same reason that Catholicism isn't having a beneficial effect on across any of the categories of human life, which we'd hope it would be predicated, which is to say it's not it's not helping because, I mean, I don't I don't. I don't care about race. Like it's it's literally the furthest thing from my mind. I don't I care about Catholics and making the world more Catholic. So across, you know, black, white, yellow, brown, Catholicism is not helping our and when I mean our, I mean our yours, mine and yours, our community of Catholics in terms of marriage. It's not helping our community in terms of clear teaching on the the deadly poison of contraception it's not helping our community on the clear poison of pornography or, or whatever else it's having no beneficial effect because in a practical way not not in a doctrinal way i'm distinguishable from uh archbishop vigano in, in these terms or, or or taylor marshall we have kind of they've, they've kind of gone a different way doctrinally the church is fine but it's not announcing any of its doctrines and practically, it's not teaching you, you, me, or any of our friends in whatever city we live. It's not teaching robustly and clearly what we need to know. So all of the races uh, um, out of wedlock birth rates have gone up. And, and, and they've gone up disproportionately in, in, among blacks. But that's, that's because of the way that, that LBJ's Great Society legislation was sort of targeted to pick off the blacks. True, true leftist racism against black people, but um, but it, it's been bad for all of us. The church isn't giving the spiritual nutrients across any of the categories of human life. We'd we'd hope that they would they would predicate those nutrients. So that's what I care about. I care about me, you, you, all our families. I don't. I care about what's essential to our lives. As an Aristotelian Thomist, I think about what's essential not what's accidental. I, I, I couldn't care less about the color of your skin. It's the most boring topic out there, right? And outdated <laughs> and obsolete. Um, it's just boring. It's boring. What, what isn't boring is our church isn't giving us the supplements we need. And why is it not? That's what I care about. Yeah. yeah. I would like to agree and amplify, you know, with what, with what Tim said, because, you know, speaking on my experience, I would say, like, in, in my experience growing up as a black Catholic, I went to inner city black Catholic churches as a kid. I, I grew up in, you know, Brightmore, Detroit. And honestly, in the Catholic parishes I went to, pretty much the only thing that would 
distinguish it from any other place would be like the obvious visual signs of a Catholic church, like stained glass windows, altars, crucifixes and things like that. But the actual people were not catechized. And if you're not catechized, you're not going to be Catholicized. For example, I used to know like people that were prominent staff members in our parish, choir members, people that were part of teaching committees. They were living together. They were cohabiting and cohabiting relationships. They were pro-abortion, blatantly supporting Democrat candidates. And yet they were teaching the faith to kids. And, and that's because, I, you know, I would say that not only is the faith not being taught to them, I believe, and I don't know why this is. Well, I'm sure there's a reason that's diabolical. The Catholic faith is being suppressed. Black people are being robbed of their birthright to Catholicism, and it is being replaced with leftist victim talking points. I mean, what a waste of the victim card, because nobody can play the victim card better than us Catholics. Because I play the victim card every single morning at 8.30 a.m. when I receive Mass, and I receive the victim, O Salo Tadus Hoistia, on my hand. That's what the word victim comes from, folks. It comes from host, right? Our, our high priest is both priest and victim. So if you want to play the victim card, go to Mass. Receive our Lord on the tongue. Um, but, but we're not taught that. We're taught, like I said, leftist talking points with, uh, with Catholic fairy dust, you know, drinked on top of it. And it's very infuriating as an RCIA instructor because, you know, you have to know the faith. When you teach RCIA, you're on the front lines of the church. You are border patrol for the church. You are literally letting people into the church. And, uh, and as a Catholic border patrol agent who's taught RCIA for many years, you got to teach the faith to these people. You're going to answer to God if you don't, period. And I'm saying that as a non-ordained guy. I shudder to think the faith that will happen of the ordained, of these, these priests who... Not only, like Tim said, not preach the faith, but actively suppress the faith. Yeah, I always, always wonder. I always wonder if, and I, I don't know if it's, it's even you know just just the, the the black community. Just I think there there are just some communities that I don't think the Catholic Church in this country has really really been interested in, in truly engaging. Um, a lot, a lot of, a lot of communities. Even, you know, we could even go to the Appalachians, you know, some of those communities. We could even go to the Native Americans, those communities. Um, there, there are some communities that the, the Catholic Church has, has just left into the hands of the devil. They just left them into the hands of the liberals. And they, they've, um, you know, I've, uh, I'm talking about the hierarchy. When I, when I say the Catholic Church, I'm not talking about this, you know, um, the organization itself. But you know, we, we just left those communities in the hands of the devil and just abandoned them. And we see we see it most prevalently, of course, with the black black community, because, you know, we represent about 13 percent of, of the population. But it's 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 a, it's a tragedy, right? It is. Yeah. Hey, go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing is whenever uh I would go to mass in California at, at my boomerish Nova, Novus Ordo parish, uh, you know, because I didn't have an FSSP parish nearby. I'd only go occasionally. There was a big family of like Africans and they seemed cool and they were really reverent. And I just thought, man, yeah, I mean, they were wearing all the traditional garb and all that and, and spoke with a, a heavy accent. So they weren't, they weren't, you know, American black people but I, it just made me think and they were very reverent and I, I just made me think of cardinal sarah and the 
the beautiful work that is emerging from the global, the global East and South. And it made me think American demographical trends of thought are so misleading because when you, when you consider that the church really is without, without pandering or, or saying anything that, uh, you know, falls under the category like hooray for everything. It's the East and the South that's going to lead the church. And that's why it, I'm disappointed when in a recent year or two, Cardinal Sarah has been more quiet, whereas he's a, he's a gifted spiritual leader. I'd, I'd like him to speak out more. This might be the time for actual African church and actual Asian church to lead the church. And none of that's demographical pandering, because like I say, I mean, you guys are from my, we, me, we three are from the same community, you know, but it, it might be time for the actual African church to pick up and lead and for Cardinal Sarah and some of his confrères to really be the, the future of the, the, the bright future of the church. That'd be awesome. When was the last African Pope we had? Victor in 189? <laughs> yeah. That'd yeah. be great. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll say, you know, one of the saddest things, I mean, to take your pick of all the things we could be sad about since, you know, 2020, starting with the death of Kobe. But, um, you know, one of the saddest things in the, in the post-George Floyd world that I've personally experienced is um, I, I just wish that, and I'm not just talking about black Catholics, even liberal Catholics, I just wish that us Catholics could just come together and just let our Catholicism shine. But the problem is the church has been invaded, infiltrated, whatever aided we want to put on there with identity politics. You know, um, for example, you know, this whole notion of ministries that appeal to, you know, same-sex Catholics or to homosexual Catholics. I got to be honest. I'd be insulted if somebody referred to Bobby Hesley as a heterosexual Catholic. Don't like, don't, don't right. tether my Catholicism to my sexual orientation. And I am heterosexual, <laughs> by the way. But even though I'm heterosexual, it's not, it's not your business. What my, you know, to, to, to tether my sexual orientation to, to my Catholicism. Call me a Roman Catholic. Don't call me a heterosexual Catholic, right? And, and my thing is, so because of this identity politics, whether it's over the, the LGBT issues, whether it's over race issues, whether it's over feminism issues, you know, gender issues, you know, rich versus poor, the class warfare stuff, whatever you want to call it. The problem is when these world crises hit and us Catholics are supposed to come together and show the world how it's done, we're too busy squabbling with each other and being partisan. You know, I, I've had black Catholic friends unfriend me on Facebook. I've had arguments with, with other black Catholics. And the fact is, and that's because I, I you know, in my opinion, and, and this is, I don't, this is more of an observation than it is a critique, but these things should be bringing us together, not apart. And the reason why they're drifting us apart is because I feel there are too many Catholics walking around that don't allow the lens through which they view everything to be their Catholicism. Again, they're letting it be their blackness, their gender, their sexual orientation, their whatever you call it. So when these crises hit, it's going to fracture us instead of unite us. Whereas the three of us, we can have two, you know, a half black and a half white guy, a fully black guy, a fully white guy be on a panel. And we're all, you know, we're all fully united through our Catholicism. Like, who cares what color we are? Right. And, yeah. and I noticed that as well. You know, some, you know, a, 
I think you and I, Bob, we belong to a couple. Well, I used to until they kicked me off. Some of the same, <laughs> <laughs> some of the same groups on Facebook. You know, uh, Catholic and Black, or Black and Catholic, Black Catholic Fellowship groups on Facebook. Um, of course, yeah. they kicked me off eventually. And yeah, um, um, but um, yeah, I, I noticed that, especially when it comes to this, this election cycle, that it's not their faith that they take them to the ballot booth. It's their race. It's their it race, is. not their faith, which mm-hmm. is which is tragic. But the 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 whole trajectory of this thing for the past eighty years, um, I wanted to you know just highlight that real quick, is that you know we you know a lot of people say well the Democrats you know they they're the you know they're who the Republicans used to be there was this big party switch or something like that that there was some change but what I like to point out that as far as ideology goes there's never a switch in ideology sure there might be some changes in demographics and things like that but as far as the ideology. The Democrats have never stopped being um, who who they are. Um, a couple examples is that as, as far as their um, imperialism and how they always think that they know better for people, more better for people than people know for themselves. If we look at just how things have just switched, I mean, we went from um, physical plantation slavery to now we see economic slavery. We see that in some of the um, more urban areas where Blacks are disproportionately affected by poverty. We see that they, um, these communities are still very dependent upon the government for food and shelter and all these things. That's an, that's an economic slavery, and it's hard to break. We see that the government gives more money and more benefits to these women if they do not get married. Um, that's economic slavery. And so we went from plantation slavery to economic slavery. On the plantation, um, blacks were not allowed to read. Um, in fact, you know, you could go to jail for teaching a black person how to read. That was the plantation that's run by Democrats. Now, here today, still today, we see in a lot of cities, Detroit, um, all the cities I named, you know, where we find the most black Catholic churches, um, St. Louis, Chicago, in some places in, <coughs> in, in California. They're illiteracy. Black, black boys have very high illiteracy rates. That's the same plantation that's being run by Democrats. Democrats are running these these city schools. Okay, um, we look at we look, look at the lynching, the Jim Crow laws, the lynching of blacks, just killing of blacks, just indiscriminately, um, without any um, uh, adjudication, just mob rule. And we see, so we went from the KKK to Planned Parenthood, who has been executing a genocide of Black Americans for the past fifty years, killing. You know, we like to say 60 million, 20 million or something like that, but we don't even think about it. That's just the raw numbers, but we don't even think about we're in our third generation of abortion now. So we're missing the children who were killed, but we're also missing their children and their grandchildren. So just the 20 million who have been slaughtered, if each one of them just had maybe two kids, and that's being generous. Wow. We're talking about 60 million. So we're missing a lot more. Um so no, it's 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 the same party that has always been. They just changed their game. They just flipped the script, changed the game, and executed the same plan, the same hatred, the same imperialism, the same the, the, the same elitism over the same group of people, but just in a different way. And um, yeah, I want you guys to re- David, respond respond to that. Yeah, yeah. Could I could I just add Afortiori to that point because it's it's beautiful. The Democrats have been allowed to get away with identitarianism, which is thoroughgoing. It is thoroughgoing, like a like a thin blue line running 
before and after the Civil War. And, and I mean, whether it's slavery, segregation, uh, abortion jurisprudence, uh, I mean, even look at look at FDR kind of in the middle of all three of those chronologically. FDR interned, you know, American Japanese and, and the Supreme Court upheld that uh, in in a in a case that's never been overruled. So identitarianism, specifically ethnic identitarianism, is like a thin blue line that is thorough going through leftist politics. I don't, it's not, I, I guess if we were living during a times of segregation, I'd be dead wrong. It wouldn't be a, a boring or obsolete issue. But now the only thing about the issue that even bears mention is basically the stuff you guys have been talking about and I'm sitting here listening. Which is to say, why, why, are, why are black voters and even Hispanic voters in this country so convinced that the party of slavery and the party of segregation is not their worst enemy? I, I don't understand how this massive um, duplicity, this massive instance of Emperor's New Clothes was, was pulled off. It's the ultimate hoodwink. And I don't understand yeah. it at all. I can. I, I can. I'll help you out there, Tim. See, and it's crazy the point you just made, uh, Dave, because literally, if, if you guys go to my Facebook wall, just look up Bobby Hesley on Facebook. I did a Facebook Live yesterday outside of the Detroit Trump headquarters. Uh, you know, I'm working directly with the Trump campaign. He actually has an office here in Detroit in the inner city. Joe Biden does not have an office in the inner city, by the way, that shows how much he cares about his black base. Because in his mind, he's got the black Catholic vote on lock. So why show up? You know, Hillary Clinton <clears throat> back in 2016, the day after the election, she shut down her, her, her campaign headquarters in Detroit. The Trump campaign headquarters in Detroit in 2016 stayed open for an entire year after Donald Trump got elected. So, you know, that shows where the priorities are. But I believe that in my video yesterday, in my live video, it's funny, Dave, because I made that very point about when you think of the what I would call the birth opportunity cost of the 20 million blacks that have been murdered by abortion, that was 47 years ago. So the Roe versus Wade generation, the ground zero generation that was first aborted back in 1973, they would be 47 years old right now. They would be old enough to have kids and grandkids, like you said. So yeah, we there's no reason why we should be stuck at 13% after all this time. Blacks have been stuck in the 13% demographic forever. And I'll tell you why. And this is what my video was yesterday. You guys should check it out. It'll go into more depth, but basically, we are under a black population control scheme that's been going on for the last hundred years that started with the American Birth Control League, which morphed into Planned Parenthood, which was founded on the Negro Project that was started by Margaret Sanger, a black racist eugenicist who believed that the black race was the inferior race. What made her different from Hitler is Hitler said, we're just going to kill all the inferior races. We'll just kill them all and we'll let our German cream rise to the top, right? What the Sanger brand of eugenics was is, well, yeah, we'll, we'll kill them too, but why don't we have them kill themselves? In other words, why don't we contracept them out of existence? We'll teach them contraception and we'll teach them abortion. And the reason why, guys, because it seems kind of counterintuitive, because some people would hit on conservatives and say, oh, you pro-life conservatives, you guys are talking out of both sides of your mouth, because out of one side of your mouth, you say that the Democrats are in for blacks, that the Democrats want to abort the blacks, yet out the other side of your mouth, you say the Democrats need the black votes. They pander to the blacks. So why would Democrats murder their own voter base? I'll tell you exactly why. Because the Democrat Party is not engaged in wiping. They're not engaged in extermination, even though we've come close. 
they're engaged in population control. They don't want to bring our numbers down to zero. They want to keep us at that wimpy little 13%. And the reason why is because that 13% nets a lot of votes for these guys every four years. But it's just enough votes to keep us from growing too numerous. So that's why they fight so hard to keep all these murderous king-haired abortion laws in place because that's what keeps us small. If we were allowed to expand and grow, we would become too powerful for the Democrats. We would have lots of other black free thinkers like Dave, like myself, like some of all these other prominent black free thinkers, and they would lose their power, which reminds me of Exodus chapter one, verse eight, because the modern day Democrats are modern day pharaohs. Yeah. Because Pharaoh enslaved the Jews, not out of greed, not out of power, but out of fear. And here's what it says in Exodus 1, verse 8. It says, then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. Verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramesses that store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And it ends in verse 22 by saying, and then Pharaoh gave his order to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So the Democrat leadership of today are modern day Pharaohs that need to be overthrown. They are keeping us small. They're keeping us at 13%. They're keeping us marginalized so that we don't grow too numerous and they lose their power and they control over us. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. You know what I like about that point is that you really brought out the attack on the man, the attack yes. on the man in the family. And this this is another thing. We could, we could go back to the Democratic Party plantation that we see today in the Democratic Party plantation, this attack on the man, this attack on the father, the, the breaking up of the family, whether it was on a plantation of a breaking up the family, selling off the father or selling off, off the mother, separating the family, the homosexualization of the black man that took part on, on puts in place on the plantation. And Bob, you did a video, so I'm not just talking about white people owning slaves. I'm talking about black people owning slaves too. A lot of black people own um, slaves. And so I'm talking about that, the homosexualization of the black man on the plantation. A lot of black people don't notice a lot of black men slaves were raped on plantations and they were homosexualized. And, and then we see that in the same today with the Democratic Party, that this same, this, this pushing of the homosexual agenda on the black man, making gay cool with, with the black man. We see all these, all these TV shows. We see did you see what they did at the DNC? The guy they put in, the black guy they put in the dress and made him dance around the way they did. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we it's, we, we, we have to make this connection. But in, um, again, with the, the um, attacking the, um, the father in the home. Um, and, and so it's, 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 it always starts, and, it, and this, this is another thing. I want to really, really want to get to the, the By the way, are you, guys, church. Sorry, are you guys hearing that feedback? There's a lot of noise. That's, uh, it's hard to hear you, Dave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, how the, um, the, the Catholic Church has an answer to everything that ails the black community. I mean, we do. I mean, we look at, we, we, we just begin with fatherhood. I mean, we, we begin with... Um, 
with, with education. You know, the Catholic Church believes that people have a right to a good education because the Catholic Church knows that education is a, is a springboard to just having a good life. Um, and, and so, but we see this attack with the Democrats who don't want people to have school choice. You know, who want people to be stuck in these Democrat-run schools um, and not receive a good education. So the Catholic Church believes that parents have a right to um, to uh, send their child to the best school that they can. So the Catholic Church is right there with the more conservative alignment of, of this idea. And so I'll let you guys talk about some other, where, where, where does the Catholic Church intersect with some of these things that are affecting the black community as far as crime and, and poverty and um, incarceration. Sorry, Dave, can we, there's a big noise. I can't hear anything. It's like, it sounds like popcorn popping in my ears. Somebody. Is um, that that clicking sound? Yeah. I hear that it's too. So, hmm. Okay. Yeah, Maybe it's know. gone now. Huh. Okay. Sorry about that, guys. It's kind of jarring. Wow, there. Maybe it's my mic. No. Nobody wants to say anything. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Technical difficulties, folks. Bobby, I think it might be your mic. I I'm not sure. I don't want to point fingers and have it be my mic, but I, I think it yeah. might be yours. I was trying okay. to figure it out. I'll just I'll, I'll mute one mic at a time. Give me one second. Okay. Actually, I think it might be TJ's. Okay, so that was that was that was Timothy's mic muted. Okay. We're okay. I think it's I think it's okay. We even had someone in the comments say, "Are you guys popping?" popcorn? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right, let's, just, let's, let's, can, let's try to talk over it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. The devil ain't happy. <laughs> so yeah, guys, why don't you guys like um, just come, just bring the Catholic Church into like, where's the Catholic Church intersect with these 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 issues that we see that's affecting whether it's Black Americans or other or the other communities that's that's um you know um you know living on the margins. Could I could I take a crack at it, I, I think the central issue, and I have a book coming out on it, so it, it, I think it'll it'll hit home for both of you guys. Um, so, so basically, fe I mean, feminism and the attack on fatherhood, the surrogation of women for men and men men for women, is bound up in the original sin in Genesis, right? I mean, the original transgender is. Eve acting like Adam or supplanting Adam and Adam then relegating himself to the non-leader Eve, right? She's, she's interfacing with the serpent. She's basically being the more influential of the two parties, Adam and Eve. She makes the decision that, that will follow whenever a household father stands down. So this is an endemic issue to all people inside and outside of the church, all colors and all that. It's just we live in the time of feminism. And as Alfred North Whitehead said, you, you judge, you scrutinize an age not by its suppositions, but by its presuppositions. So a lot of conservatives will begin to 
celebrate the fact that you know 1975 many 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 more women identify self-identified as feminists than now so oh, doesn't that mean that feminism has rose and fell no not at all because of what alfred north whitehead said feminism just you know infected further and further into the host organism and now women are feminists without even knowing it the conservative movement is feminist now without even knowing it the pro-life movement utterly feminist without even knowing it and christians protestant and catholic are feminist without even knowing it so so my book that that's coming out in a few months no christian feminism gets at the real primeval root of the problem you know go it's it's bound up in the fall so it's very it's 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 thoroughly ontologically woven into the nature of sin feminism and yeah, that's without that's that's just when we consider Eve when you don't even get into all the Kabbalah, the, the stuff having to do with with Lilith in the Kabbalah. It's all really evil. And, you know, as Sister Lucy wrote an unexpected letter, Sister Lucy of Fatima to Cardinal Carlo Cafara, one of the four Dubia Cardinals, one of the great heroes, the, the Italian Dubia Cardinal. He's now dead. But um, she wrote him an unexpected letter in the early 90s, and she said the final attack of the serpent on mankind would be a much more direct affront on the family structure. Mm-hmm. So the, the fact, I, I don't know, no man knows the hour when, when actually the Perugia will, will come to pass. But it does tell us something that's non-negligible, that we have moved from... Feminism simplicitaire to a, a modification of feminism, which is transgender stuff, which is just a new moment of feminism, right? Women acting like men, men acting like women. Now they actually have made this asinine uh, bodily surrogation where they say, you know, your sex organs don't matter. That, and that gets big headlines, but it, it need not. The, the more the functionality of, of man and woman have been seen to be fungible since whatever the 1960s 1970s and and the movement began about a hundred years before that so we see that of course this is instantiated it's played out in different ways according to the different races it's it's affected blacks in ways that is much more uh tangible in the numbers but it's affected all of us 50 percent divorce if you look at all the school shooters, if we're going to talk about something white, you know, ner- nerdy white, angry white nerds are always the, the school shooters, right? Not one of them I've ever seen had a father that was in the home. Uh, you know, suicide, depression, poverty, all these rates spike when someone grows up without a father in the home, whether or not it was an out of wedlock birth. You know, no fault. The force is doing the work of Satan directly. So men have to retake their households. First off, they have to be in the household, not get divorced or at the, in the first place, marry the mother of their children. But after that, they have to maintain the headship of the household. And as they do so, they have to maintain the functional, the, the functioning day-to-day office of the household. That will solve most of these problems that come out as race problems or sex problems or gender identity problems. It's just have good fathers. It will also help the attrition rates because we've all seen those Pew Research numbers, which indicate that if your dad tells you to go to mass and actually does it, you take it seriously and you never stop. You know, 90% of the time you'll keep going to mass. If it's just your mom, you don't take that very seriously. Your mom mom serves a different role, not the leadership emulation role. 
Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and that's the thing. It's kind of like, you know, you hit the nail on the head, Tim, the original sin. I mean, if you if you really want to get technical, it's funny how Eve was the one who bit the fruit. She was essentially, like according to the Book of Wisdom, it says, because of her, we all die. But essentially, why does St. Paul and Pauline's theology always refer to Adam's sin, even though Adam wasn't the first to bite the fruit? Well, because honestly, Adam was the world's very first beta male. He was. Right. He was the right. world's first. And, 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 and I know I'm ruffling feathers, guys, but the fact is, when God condemned Adam, the specific thing that he condemned him for is he said, because you listened to your wife. Mm. And I'm not saying that you can't listen to your wife. Like, don't tar and feather me. I'm not saying not to consult your wife or include her. But what I'm saying is, you know, speaking of what Tim said, a lot of women just just kind of like there's lots of people that may not uh, give a lecture at Oxford debating the existence of God. There may not be a lot of intellectual atheists that say, I hate God. He doesn't exist. So I'm going to walk around giving lectures at colleges, trying to convince a bunch of kids that God doesn't exist. Those are your intellectual atheists, but you have a lot of what are called practical atheists. So they live as if God doesn't exist. And I would equate that with feminism. You may not have a lot of fem you know, women that'll don their pink lady part hats and go down to Washington DC and dye their hair purple and scream and burn their bras. But they live a life, they live a practical, a practically feminist existence. You know, submitting to a man, the idea of them submitting to a man is kind of foreign to them. And, th and some of them are even offended by the idea of a wife submitting to her husband. And again, it goes back to the failure of catechesis. Because if we truly knew what the essence of submission was, I mean, okay, here's the RCIA instructor in me coming out. If you break down that word, what does submission mean? The word sub means underneath, right? Submarines go underneath water, right? So the word submission literally means to be under the mission of someone. So when a woman is submitting to a husband, it's not like she's being ruled as a slave and he's saying, make me my ex woman and like it while you do it. No, what submission is, is being under the mission of your husband. And that's what Adam's sin was. He didn't lead, he didn't lead even his mission. And that's why, you know, God condemned him. So I agree. I mean, feminism has wreaked havoc on the black community, but I would say that it plays out in different communities. Like the way it plays out in the black community is there's just no dads at all in the home. And I would say that's more of a codified feminism. That's that man in the house rule that, that Dave touched on earlier, where a woman is penalized for allowing the man who impregnated her to live with them, which by the way, guys, me working with the Trump campaign, they are working on reversing that. They're working on getting rid of the man in the house rule to where women don't have to choose between their welfare benefits and the man who got them pregnant. So that's not like the ultimate solution because obviously we want as many people off of welfare as we can, uh, but that's a step in the right direction. Um, but in, the, in, in a lot of white households, yeah, the dads may be present physically, but they're beta dads. Their wife calls the shots. Th their kids grow up seeing their, their mother push their dad around and not show respect to their dad. So the only reference that they have for how a marriage should go is, you know, the whole happy wife, happy life thing, which just gives me an allergic reaction every time I hear it. It should. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how, you, I mean, and bring this back to what the church teaches. I mean, just imagine, just imagine, guys, if we're just talking about just the black community for a second. Imagine if all these churches, all these um, predominantly black Catholic churches, where you find like at least 10 of them in all these cities where like Baltimore and Chicago and St. Louis, where we see a, a host of these um uh, these issues at play imagine if they all just evangelize what the catholic church teaches about the sacrament of marriage 
about sex not being for recreation, that sex is for marriage, and that children aren't just something, some byproduct of, of sex and pleasure, that children belong to marriage, and that mother and father are supposed to raise their children in the faith. I mean, just imagine if we evangelize that, because we have this low expectation that, oh, people, they won't listen, we know we have to use condoms and all this stuff. We just haven't tried. And <laughs> a, a Catholic, the, this teaching that Christ gave the church to teach just hasn't been put out there. But the Black Catholic Church in these communities where you see all these issues, they have a duty and a responsibility to proclaim the authenticity of the faith. But too often, too many of them want to play Protestant and not Protestant and be more concerned about the liturgy being cool and funny and enjoyable rather than just proclaiming the authenticity of the faith. So that's my that's my challenge to these, these predominantly black Catholic churches and that, that, that I think you're culpable of every condition that we see in the black community. You are culpable in, in that condition because you have failed to, to proclaim, authentically proclaim the teachings of the Catholic church. This is on you. You were there. So uh, we got to stop playing these games, man. We got to start taking some, some, some personal responsibility and, and it goes back to what the church, Catholic Church teaches about, uh, you know, about, about the, uh, the, the fifth commandment, self-defense. Self it comes back to that, that and we, we have un, unjust aggressors trying to kill these communities, unjust aggressors. Whether it's the dude in Planned Parenthood with a, with a knife in a vacuum or these people are just killing people through education and poverty. We have unjust aggressors in these communities and we have to start defending uh, our, our people. We just do. But let me... um. But we're running, we're running towards the end of time. So I want to get to some questions. And um, so this first one up from um, Natasha Wilson, because you discuss some of the rules for retrogrades and how they might apply to dealing with the leftists in the black community or really Marxism, which forments antagonism between groups. Oh, you bet. You bet the first rule is always be on offense. The left wins all the time. The reason when we get into left, right, you know, bi binary uh, ontology and the way that, that the, the political game works in America, the left always wins. The right always loses. We have the right ideas and yet we're getting 50 pieced. And so my, my conservative and Christian friends and Catholic friends that laugh at the wackiness of leftist ideas is like, Dude, don't laugh at the left's ideas because even though they're really, really bad and, and risible from a formal standpoint, from a material standpoint, they're whipping us. So don't well, we're the losers, they're the winners. So the reason when one moves to the next step of the equation, why? The reason that they do so is because they're always on offense. If there's a two by two inches square corner of the political and cultural landscape that they don't own, their leaders are saying, why don't we own that? Why, don't, why, why are we not infiltrating with our uh, LGBT nonsense that goes against common sense? We've already taken all the secular uh, political arena. We've even taken over the Republican Party. Why are we not in the Catholic Church? And, and now they actually are. Why are we not in Protestant mainstream denominations? Now they are. They don't, they don't, they're, they're like MJ. They want to beat you by 30. They want to step on your neck. And that's how, if you read like Sun Tzu, that's how you win. They get it. That's rule number one, rules for retrogrades. You just, you always go on offense. Uh, when you talk to a conservative, even imagine what um, Trump, who, who we all love, 
said about RBG when she died. It, and Trump doesn't typically do this. Trump is one of the first conservatives that actually is a retrograde. He doesn't usually go too far in extolling her enemies. But he said too much. He was too nice to RBG. I compare, I contrasted that rather with what Hillary said about Nino Scalia when he died back in 2016. It was perfect. She said exactly what you should say about a foe. These are our foes. I, I mean, I'm extolling our foe, but only in terms of their strategy. She said, like, hey, he was a dedicated public servant. Let's move on. Let's replace him. You know, what Trump said about uh, RBG was too far. And that's the only reason I'm bringing that up is because it's typical. We need to stay on offense. We, we're a bunch of Ned Flanders that everyone laughs at. The world laughs at. We have It, it, it uh, goes back to the two or three points. We have 40 rules for retrogrades. Two or three of them uh, circle back to the point on defeating feminism. There's an effeminacy that, that says, oh, we're already up by 20. Isn't that enough? Shouldn't, we, shouldn't it be garbage time? We put in our bench and we, we pull out our, our, you know, our starting five. And it's like, no, we only do that if, if uh, we're worried about our interest, you know, injuries to those guys. Let's beat them by 30. Then we'll pull out our starting five. Yeah. It's really important that we stay masculine. And, you know, I, I said in one of my videos that I made from Thailand, you know, feminism is not to be underestimated. A lot of people think, oh, why are you guys spending so much time on some women's studies class? I mean, who didn't watch a few episodes of Sex and the City here and there? Murphy Brown back in the 90s. What's wrong with a little bit of feminism? Well, let me tell you something. You know, feminism, and, and again, this is going to sound extreme, but feminism is one of the deadliest, if not the deadliest movement, I think, in human history. Because if you want to compare, it's at least up there with Mao. You know, Mao piled up more bodies and filled up more rivers of blood than any other dictator. Okay. Mao topped out at 60 million with his great leap forward, his manufactured communist socialist famine that killed 45 million of his own Chinese people in a span of three years. Then you got Stalin at his heels with 40 million dead. Then you got Hitler way down there at 12 million. But he's the fall guy because the Germans lost the war. So one of the spoils of war is that you get to rewrite history. When you're on the winning side, you get to give the whitewash revisionist version of yourself. But the fact is, when you look at all the babies that have been killed through feminism, we're only talking about the recorded abortions, the 1973 onwards abortions since Roe versus Wade that are on the Planned Parenthood, you know, books and their profit ledgers. But here's another form that we don't think about. It wasn't until the 1980s that it was discovered that the birth control pill is an abortion patient. Okay. So if you factor in the chemical abortions, the accidental abortions, the secret abortions that many married women have probably had over the years, over the decades, who knows if that number's not double or triple? Thanks to feminism. <laughs> so I would say that feminism probably is deadlier than Maoism. You know, if you factor in all the chemical abortions that, and again, these are sacraments of feminism. The two sacraments of feminism are abortions and the birth control pill. Without those two things, there is no feminism. Well, compound that with the fact of you're talking about bodily death, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful point. I love it. But compound it with spiritual death, where essentially this, this might mainly be a white thing. It might be a Hispanic thing. I, I don't know how it is in the, in the Catholic black community. But in white communities, in Catholics, uh, among Catholicism, the mom brings the family to church. That's just how mm -hmm. it is. Oh, That's yeah. We see that here. That was in all my friends' yep. households. Going to church was seen as an effeminate thing. And in my Mexican friends say this, too. Like, they're like, yeah, man, my dad stayed home. It was, it was Sunday. He chilled out. He drank a beer. He started watching football at 1030. And he didn't go to mass. 
And even if my dad went along occasionally or maybe every week, it wasn't his heart in it. It was my mom doing the roundup, get into the car. It was my mom telling us which sacramentals we would do as a family or devotionals if we even went that far. It wasn't the dads. And that causes longer term, you know, one to two decade slow apostasy. It's a slow burn, but no one takes it seriously because the father is the priest of what uh, JP2 called the Ecclesiola, the mini church. The pri- not only is he the, the, the priest of the miniature church or the church in miniature, he's also supposed to be priest, prophet, king. And do you know what it does when a father abandons his primary office, which is not just bringing the kids into the world, but teaching them, teaching them in the faith. You know, my kids are all homeschooled and I oversee that. And yeah, my, my wife goes and does an excellent job with the actual lessons, but I, I'm overseeing all of this. Most men have it in all men. Let me, let, me, let me bridge it and make it even more generic. All men in the genus of man have it in them to be a leader. And they're overlooking their holy sacramental vocation by virtue of the fact, I know this, that they're not priests. And they're saying, oh, could I be on the stupid committee councils, city councils, municipalities? They're looking to go into state or federal politics. They're looking for any way to be a recognized leader. And they're they're like they're blindfolded. They're stepping over their God appointed duty where every man's supposed to be leader at home, supposed to be a, a lordly loving king who who it does get some of the spoils of being leader you're supposed to be lordly kindly like aragorn in lord of the rings but that's why so many men want to do some larpy posery thing that they're probably not that well cut out for because there are only a few of those actual positions they want of leadership and they're stepping over the one that's beautiful and natural and creates real friendship with the wife it's a it's a friendship as between unequals, we're equal in dignity, but not equal in anything else. And it's a beautiful friendship. Your wife should be your best friend, and she's a great helper, and your kids should be your friends. Again, not friendship between equals. It makes for a lovely life to do your job and to do it well. And we've been robbed of that. Yeah. That's a good point. Hey, we got um, another point here. I think sort of pings to everything that we ties everything a lot of things together michael doe saying what is your opinions on black liberation theology and we could really just take off black liberation theology and just the idea of yeah. liberation theology together which is really popular in south america with, with the jesuits liberation theology liberation theology wants to do you guys know it really it, man it plays on the whole victim narrative perfectly and, and it uses scripture to do that and it wants to really it makes people victims and it makes those who increase this 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 uh this group of people who are supposed to be in power and these people who have control over these people who are victims and it wants to use this ideology to pit the people who are victims um in, in this constant war and struggle with these people who are in power and there's never any way to reconcile it but the people who are in the middle who are pitching this they're the ones who retain control in the power you know whether it's whether it's jesse jackson or l sharpton or whether it's you know nancy pelosi they all played the, the, the same narrative of this the, you guys need to be free and, mm-hmm. and we're the ones who can set you free and this in liberation theology is huge in a liberal black catholic establishment they have they have programs i mean at, at that you know the only historically 
black Catholic university, um, Xavier, um, in Louisiana. I mean, they, you know, you have professors down there, they make a, they, you know, they're preaching black Catholic, I mean, liberation theology. You hear it in the pulpits of the black Catholic church. And it's just the import, it's just the import from black Protestantism and black liberalism. Yeah. But it's, it's dangerous. Yeah, I mean, our, our first black president, Barack Hussein Obama, is a product of uh, liberation theology. For 20 years, he went to the church of Pastor Jeremiah Wright. And, um, you know, and, and, and if you think about it, guys, that's the beauty of being Catholic, man. This is why we have to see everything through the lens of our precious Catholicism. Because when you're Catholic, I'll tell you, it keeps me sane. My Catholicism, among the many things it does, like sanctifies my soul, prepares me for heaven, gives me union with Jesus, gives me truth. It also keeps me sane, literally. Like my, my psychiatry medication is my Catholicism because when you're Catholic, you can take a breath and realize oh, there's nothing new under the sun. We got 2,000 years of rich apostolic tradition. When a Jehovah's Witness comes to my door and knocks and say, hey, do you know that the Trinity doesn't exist, that Jesus isn't God? Oh, okay, you're an Arian. Been there, done that, right? So when it comes to liberation theology, that's nothing new there. You could look back in scripture, even some of Jesus' own apostles he had to liberate from liberation theology. Like after all the miracles they had seen him do after the resurrection, if you look in Acts chapter one, they're still caught up on their liberation theology of saying, so are you going to free us from, are you going to free the Jews now? Are you going to free us from Rome? From, from, you know, so even back throughout scripture, like Simon the Zealot, we could say that, you know, he was kind of a liberation theologian until Christ got a hold of him. So that's nothing new. But the beauty of being Catholic, though, is that you can see that you could say ah liberation theology okay that's what it looked like in the early church and now you can see the way the church has responded to it throughout the ages and it's like bishop fulton sheen said in the preface to radio replies where he said that i shall live to chant a requiem on ideas that were popular meaning that the ideas of today that are popular the church is going to outlive all those ideas and it's going to chant a requiem on those ideas that are dead Could I, could I add a, a little bit of gloss? Again, I, I love your answers. I always like to add this too. The original liberation theology that was not anathema to salvation history was in the Old Testament. We've been there, done that, where you're dealing with just the material aspect of human life. The liberation theology was Moses as against Pharaoh, that you, know, you smear the blood of the lamb over your, your door. Moses at the behest of the 10th plague, led the Israelites out from Egypt as a kind of uh, salvation theology movement, and he freed them from Pharaoh and from physical slavery. Jesus was the new Moses, and instead of freeing the Jews from the Romans or the whole litany of, of overseers, overlords that they had to deal with in a span of 400 years, Jesus freed through his new exodus movement he freed all of humanity not just the jews from sin suffering sickness death the spiritual freedom so liberation theology when jesus changed jewish sacrifice into christian sacrament forevermore was done the liberation theology is always a closed way for us because it's always just talking in crass political terms when we're meant at, at the new testament and beyond no longer to think of our liberation in strictly political or bodily terms. That, that was fine for the Old Testament, but Jesus took that and he transformed it. Not only was he the new Moses, but remember, he was the new Isaac. Isaac 
walked up Mount Moriah with wood on his back, and he was he was a sacrifice at the behest of his father. Jesus was the new Isaac. He walked up the other side of Mount Moriah with wood on his back, and he was to be the sacrifice at the behest of his father, but it was willing. You know, Isaac was tricked. Jesus is the new Isaac. He is God-made flesh, and this is why typology between Old and New Testament is so important. He accepted it. He knew it. He prayed about it in the Garden of Gethsemane. And through Christ's act of self-sacrifice, he turned Jewish sacrifice into Christian sacrament. And there's a big difference between sacrifice and sacrament. But it ends up doing this work with the new exodus. And, and thereby, it means that bodily salvation history and crass political terms is no longer good enough to, to, to satisfy anyone or shouldn't be. And he gives us the manna from heaven to aid us in the wilderness, which is himself, right? Yeah, man, this has been a really solid conversation, man. I really enjoyed you guys. You guys are really, really smart and and thoughtful. Um, Closing out, I want to ask each each of you, um, tying this whole thing together, what are are some of your just final thoughts on the hold that um, some of these ideologies, liberal theologies, Marxist theologies, ideologies, what are you, what are some of your final thoughts moving forward about the hold these ideologies have on uh, some of the communities in the margins or altogether? I'm reminded of the words of Pope St. Leo the Great, where he said, if you but knew your dignity, O Christian man, you know, we have to reclaim our dignity, our identity. We have to realize that our Catholicism, it is the greatest part of who we are. It is going to outlive our race. It's going to outlive our gender. It's going to outlive the party that we're a part of, whichever party that is. It is the core of who we are. And we got to stop tripping over dollars and picking up these little these little pennies and start seeing what we have before us, what we have within us, which is the great. I consider myself, I mean, I'm not, you know, I know the church condemned double predestination and somewhat, you know, some people say Aquinas taught predestination. I feel like the closest you can come to being predestined is to be born into a Catholic household where you're taught the Catholic faith in your childhood. Because what a shot, man. I could have been born a Muslim over in the Middle East. I could have been born in some other communist country where my parents would have gotten killed to teach me the faith. I mean, yeah, I was born in the hood to a single mother, but thank God that she raised me in the Catholic faith because... That's all I needed, and I, that's the greatest gift that I could ever be given. And uh, and again, it regulates everything else about me. It regulates my blackness. It regulates my conservatism. It regulates my sexuality. It regulates my business practices. It regulates how I vote. It regulates everything, and that's how it should be, folks. My black people, I appeal to you, reverse that order. Allow your Catholicism to define and regulate your blackness, not the other way around. And that's all I have to say about that. Man. Timothy Gordon. It's been an honor to be on with both of you. I'd like to invite you both now, uh, maybe one by one, to, to come on my show, Rules for Retrogrades, on my channel. I, I, I've enjoyed this a, a, a great amount. I would Likewise. say that my, my the only surprise that I've had since I've been on the air doing the TNT thing, now I'm on my own channel, I'm typically associated with traditional Catholicism. And all my life, I used to say this idea of, white racism, the alt-right is mythic. I didn't know that there is an actual alt-right and it exists on the interwebs because I've never known oh, yeah. like a white racist person on black. You know, I was, a bas- I was a white basketball player, so I heard lots of slurs about myself, but no, 
no white people I knew were bold enough to say something out in the open uh, against black people. But on the Internet, and it has stolen into traditional Catholic communities, it's a real thing. Uh, Alt-right. Now, you far more often than you hear anti-black sentiments are, are anti-Jewish, like legit anti-Jewish, not, you know, you know, Mel, Mel, the passion of the Christ is an anti uh, the Jew film or some nonsense like that. I mean, real anti-Semitism. And it's so it's a real danger in traditional communities. Uh, populism is always exciting at first, like like there's a populist element to Trump's popularity and it's good and it's healthy. But a lot of times what happens with populism and I'm talking about the, the, the moment of Catholic populism that we're dealing with right now is it goes too far. It's unbounded. It's undirected. There is a, a burgeoning, which is frightening, element of actual alt-right. So I sound like you, you said, oh, your video dealer black people, that sounded so strong. But it's like, I don't, I don't care about race. I, I reject race realism and all that stuff, you know, on Nicholas J. Fuentes' channel, if you know that. Like, I, I didn't even know that stuff existed before. Yeah, I was going to ask if you know about Richard, Richard Spencer. There are real alt-right Racist. Yeah. It's not like Milo Yiannopoulos, who who I'm associated with. He, he's he's not he's not alt right at all. There is real alt right, and it's stealing its way into traditional Catholicism. I think it might have been there all along. I don't want to be associated with that. I want what we need in in real Catholic community is to heal the divide between traditionalists and Novus Ordo Catholics. Number one, yeah. and number two, do away with all forms of identitarianism, aside from like Bobby said identitarianism in the sacraments in Christ, that's that's fine. I couldn't care less about race, but I don't want to say on the other end that, that there isn't this alt-right. We have to see to it that the alt-right is expelled, even in yeah. an inchoate form, minuscule form, from, you know, the kind of burgeoning new sort of neo-traditionalist Catholic movement, which is good, but we have to, we have to see that it stays out because... Uh, I don't know. Identitarianism is for the left. They've always played on it. They're the party of segregation. They're the party of slavery. Let them have it. It's not yeah. for us. We. I don't. I don't give a damn about someone's skin color, and that's the way it needs to yeah. stay. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Amen. All right, hey guys, man, awesome conversation, man. We could we could have kept this thing going, and I'm sorry to everyone who has questions in the comment box that I could not get to, but I have to keep this sort of condensed so it's digestible for people who want to watch it and listen to later. But I will um, coordinate with have these guys, um, like Timmy said, maybe one at a time later on, because I know you guys have some more retrograde questions I could get to over there, but I will definitely do that. Um, but until then, and until next time, blessings and shalom to you and to yours. Thanks again, Bobby and Timothy Gorn for coming on to Talking Catholic. Fool me, we can't get fooled again.